Please join me in prayer as we ask God's blessing on the reading and preaching of His Word. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we ask now that You would come and meet with us as we hear Your Word read and preached. May it be light unto our path. May it be food to nourish our souls. We ask and pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to ask you, if you will, to turn in your Bibles, I think, to John chapter 8. Most probably, most likely, in your Bibles, in John chapter 8. If you're using an English Standard Version or an NIV, it's probably in John chapter 8. But our passage this morning presents to us a textual issue. Here, the story of the woman caught in adultery. Most English Bibles place this beginning in John chapter 7, verse 53, through chapter 8, verse 11, putting it, seeding the story right here in the middle of Jesus' teaching during the Feast of Tabernacles. We have before us a textual issue, though, as the earliest manuscripts of John's Gospel do not contain this story. So, what are we to do with this? You're probably wondering, what on earth are you talking about? Well, just look at your Bibles there. You probably have some brackets or ellipses or a footnote or something like that there in your Bible. And what the Bible scholars are saying for us is that this portion of Scripture is not in the earliest manuscripts. However, that does not necessarily mean that the story is not historical. In fact, we believe that there is a group of stories and teaching that came from Christ that's part of what we call the apostolic corpus or a group of apostolic teaching that was carried on from the apostles giving the accounts of Jesus' words and life and history. And so such is this story right here. So some scholars place it in different places in John chapter 7. Some scholars place it at the end of the Gospel of John. Actually, others place it at the end of the Gospel of Luke. But most English Bibles place it here in John chapter 8. We believe it to be inspired Scripture and a blessing and a benefit to us. And so we will treat it this morning as God's holy word for us this morning. And it is dealing with the issue of the woman caught in adultery. It is our practice here at New Covenant to preach systematic expository sermons right through whole books of Scripture at a time. Travis and I both endeavor to do this, and Travis much better than me on most occasions, not always, but on most occasions. And uh, we try to be faithful to God's Word, even with passages that are challenging and difficult. So, here at New Covenant on Sunday mornings, I'm preaching through the Gospel of John, and as providence would have it, we find ourselves here in John chapter 8. So, look with me in your Bibles at John chapter 7, verse 53 through 8, 11. They went to His own house, but Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. 
Early in the morning he came again to the temple. All the people came to him and sat down and taught them. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery. And placing her in the midst, they said to her, Teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Now in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. So what do you say? This they said to test him, that they might have some charge to bring against him. Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground. And as they continued to ask him, he stood up and said to them, Let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. And once more he bent down and wrote on the ground. But when they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the older ones. And Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. Jesus said to Jesus stood up and said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said, Neither do I condemn you. Go, and from now on, sin no more. May God bless the reading of His holy word and let His church say, Amen. Amen. In Nathaniel Hawthorne's book, The Scarlet Letter, the main character of the story is Hester Prynne. And it was discovered in the story that while her husband was estranged, off in a different country, that Hester conceived a child in an adulterous relationship. The townspeople condemning Hester for her sin, they, as you probably know, required her to wear publicly a scarlet letter A on her clothes, marking her as a dirty, filthy adulteress. To shame her publicly in front of their whole community. Every single day of Hester's life, she was required to wear a scarlet A in public shame for her sexual sin. It's interesting, in contrast, Reverend Dimsdale, the father of this child, lived in secret shame. For his sexual sin, not revealing until the end of the story that he was in fact the true father of this child conceived in an adulterous relationship. I think it's important for us this morning as we look at this passage of Scripture to realize that many people are like Hester in this story And they are wearing the marks in their life of the public shame of the sexual sin that they've experienced. Others are like the reverend in this story. Bearing secretly and secret shame the scars of the sexual sin that they have experienced in their lives. 
as Christians, how does God call us to respond to those who are caught in sexual sin? We have to answer that question from this passage of Scripture this morning. We have to deal with it. It is here presented before us. And before we answer that question, I want you to see first a problem that is addressed by this passage of Scripture. I want us to just pause a moment and to think about the problem that is being addressed here. And number one, here's the problem that is addressed in this text. Here it is. If you're taking notes, some people will be caught in sexual sin. You probably know people in your life who have been caught in sexual sin. You probably have family members who have been caught in sexual sin. You yourself may have a a story in your life of how God by His grace and in His mercy saved you and brought you through a period in time in your life when you too fell into sexual sin and were caught. And here in this passage of Scripture this morning, the scribes and Pharisees bring a woman to Jesus who has been caught in the act of adultery. Do you see that there in this passage? Jesus had been teaching in the temple. And early the next morning, look at verse 2, early in the morning He came again to the temple. We see that there in verse 2. And all the people had come to Jesus. There's a crowd. People had assembled to hear Jesus teach them. And they sat and He sat down and taught them. Jesus is he's settling in for the long haul. I mean, you think me and Travis preached a long time. We stand. Jesus preached so long, He had to sit down to teach all these people. So here the crowds have gathered to Jesus early in the morning to hear Jesus teach them. And right in the middle of their assembly, early in the morning, look at verse 3 and see what happens. The scribes and the Pharisees, they're the religious leaders of the day. The scribes and the Pharisees, look what verse 3 says, brought a woman who had been caught in adultery. She had been caught in the act. The scribes and the Pharisees had dragged this woman, arrested this woman, and, and dragged her in her shame and embarrassment to the temple. In her shame and embarrassment. And placed her there at the feet of Jesus. We're left with all sorts of questions, aren't we? Where's the man who is committing this adultery with her? Where is this woman's husband or her fiancé? For we think that she was likely married or betrothed. Here's a good question. How did the scribes and Pharisees know where to find this woman? Passage is silent. Scripture doesn't tell us any of this information. But we are presented with the problem that this woman had been caught in the act of adultery. She's guilty. She has been discovered. She has been found. And now she must face the judgment of God. For Jesus is God in the flesh. Right? And here they have dragged her before Jesus. What do they say to Jesus? Look at verse 4. They said to Him, Teacher, 
This woman has been caught in the act of adultery. We caught her, Jesus. We found this woman, Jesus. What are you going to do about her? What do you recommend that we do with this woman, Jesus? And the law of Moses commands us to stone such a woman. They're referencing the, the Old Testament law and Deuteronomy and Leviticus that says that if someone is caught in the act of adultery, that the woman, the adulterous woman, should be stoned, and the man should be stoned too. And they're not worried about the man or he was able to flee away, or whatever the situation was, we don't know. But here's this woman, and so they are they are questioning Jesus. Jesus, the law says we should stone such a woman. What do you say, Jesus? What does it mean to be caught in sexual sin? What does it mean to be caught? Proverbs chapter 7, it personifies wisdom and folly as a woman. Wisdom is beautiful. Wisdom is trustworthy. Wisdom is described as a, as a sister that can be counted on. But foolishness and folly is like a seductress woman leading the ignorant astray. Proverbs chapter 7, it says that those who are enticed in their folly, in their foolishness by lady folly and, and seduced away into sexual sin, that that person is like an ox caught in a stall or a deer caught in a trap or a bird caught in a snare. That that person has been seduced and, and led astray, that they've been caught that, that ignorantly, that they have walked into a situation in their life and they are trapped in this situation and they have been caught in this situation. And Proverbs says that the ignorant man that does this did not know that it would cost him his life. Now you might be struggling with a sexual sin in your life this morning, and you might be thinking to yourself, hold on just a minute, Pastor. I I'm not like the woman in this passage. Now, my circumstances are different. I haven't been caught in the act. I'm not trapped. What I'm doing is harmless. We should never be so naive to think that sexual sin can be harmless. Any form of sexual sin, can we? Sinful desires are sin. Not only are sinful actions sin, but also sinful desires are sin. Proverbs chapter 6, 27-29 says, Can a man carry fire next to his chest in clothes and not be burned? Or can one walk on hot coals and his feet not be scorched? So is he who goes into his neighbor's wife. No one who touches her will go unpunished. 
So what's the, what's, the, what's the proverb saying here? The proverb is saying here is that if you are flirting with sexual sin, you are like a person who takes their shoes off and walks on hot coals, and then you're surprised why your feet got burned. It will always burn you. Sexual sin will. will always find you out. Westminster Shorter Catechism describes sin not only as any word or deed, but also sin is in our where? It's in our thoughts. Westminster Shorter Catechism 14 says that sin is not only any transgression of God's law, but it is any want of conformity unto. So any place in our life where we don't desire to obey God's law, not only our actual transgressions, our words and our actions, but even in our desires, that that is sinful too. Isn't that what James says in James chapter 1? The Apostle James, what does the Apostle James say in James chapter 1? That we're led astray into sin by our own what? Desire. That desire gives birth to sin, and then sin, when it's been conceived and it grows, what does sin bring? It brings death, the Apostle James says. You may know that all too well. The pain, the trauma, the hardship of committing a sexual sin or being the victim of a sexual sin. It's a problem that the church has to deal with, isn't it? It's a problem that our families must face. It's a problem that many marriages will have to face in varying degrees. It, it's real and prevalent. It permeates our culture and our society. And, and if we turn a blind eye to this, we do so in ignorance because it is completely saturated in our culture, isn't it? We have to deal with this problem. And we have to know how to deal with it as Christians. So how do we deal with someone who's caught in sexual sin? What does God call us to do as Christians? Well, before I answer that question, let me show you from this passage what not to do. Don't be like the scribes and the Pharisees. Some people condemn those who are caught in sexual sin. This woman, she was caught in the act of adultery, but the scribes and Pharisees were caught being hypocrites. They were caught condemning this woman. They had no interest in her recovery. They had no interest in her betterment and improvement. They had no interest in her growing in her understanding of God's law and dealing with any other issues in her life? No, they, they're not concerned with any of that. Verse 6 tells us that they dragged this woman to Jesus. Look there at your Bibles. They did this to do what? To test Jesus. That they might have some charge to bring against Jesus. So they're, doing, they're using this woman shamefully as a trap for Jesus. And here's the trap. They've brought this woman before Jesus, and if Jesus says, look guys, 
Get over it. It's not that big of a deal. If Jesus were to respond that way, or if Jesus were to say, hey, show a little grace to this woman. It's only been one time. Jesus knows everything, right? It's only been one time. It was a moment of weakness for this woman. Let her go. Then the religious leaders of Jesus' day will have a charge to bring against Jesus that He doesn't follow God's law perfectly. But, on the other hand, if Jesus looks at her and says, this woman deserves death. Stone her! Then the religious leaders can go to the Roman authorities and say, Jesus is an insurrectionist. He doesn't abide by the Roman laws. He's lawless. How does Jesus respond to the trap that's been laid for Him? What does Jesus do? Isn't it interesting? In verse 6 and in verse, verse 8, Jesus bends down and what does He begin to do? He begins right in the ground. This is the only account in all of Scripture where we see that Jesus ever wrote anything. And He wrote it in the dirt and we don't have the words. And the commentators, oh, they love to guess what Jesus was writing. What was Jesus writing? Some say, maybe Jesus was writing some portion of the law. Maybe Jesus was writing... This is a fabulous sermon from R.C. Sproul on this. I'm sorry, I couldn't help but to listen to it. Sproul says, Jesus was looking at each one of those men and He was writing their sins in the dirt. That would have been something, wouldn't it? Ultimately, we don't know what Jesus wrote in the ground. But He is disinterested in their condemnation of this woman. Jesus will not participate in the condemnation of this woman. If they expected to bring her to Jesus to find an accuser, as Sproul said in his sermon, they came to the wrong man. Jesus wasn't interested in it at all. He says, alright, if you're going to stone her, here's the condition. Verse 7. I want you to see this. Don't miss this. So important. Let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. If you're going to condemn this woman, if you're going to, if you're going to destroy this woman's life, then I want all of you who are without sin here, you get to be the first one to pick up a stone and bash her brains out. Have at it. Scripture tells us here, verse 9, when they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the older ones. How do we respond to someone who's caught in sexual sin? Rosaria Butterfield, in her book, The Gospel Comes with a House Key, I commend it to all of you. It's a marvelous book. Rosaria Butterfield, she makes this distinction, and you've probably heard me say this before, that she says that approval and acceptance are two different things. We need to have categories in our minds as believers that approval and acceptance are different. 
As Christians, we cannot approve of what's sinful, can we? We're bound by God's law. We can't approve of what's sinful, and Jesus didn't approve of this woman's adultery. He didn't approve of it in any way, shape, or form. The seventh commandment was clear and established in Jesus' mind. So, we can't approve of everyone's life, but do you know what God calls us to do? God calls us to accept everyone as a fellow image bearer of a holy God. To condemn someone caught in sexual sin is to confront the sinner with the law of God and withhold the gospel from them. To condemn someone caught in sexual sin is to diagnose the disease and withhold the cure. To condemn someone caught in sexual sin is to wish all of God's wrath on the sinner without access to God's mercy and grace that you yourself have received. And me too. To condemn someone caught in sexual sin is to magnify the sin of the sinner to contrast the hypocritical virtue of yourself. It is to think to oneself, I'd never do something like that. How disgusting. I hope that person gets everything they have coming to them. Can I just tell you in this passage, Jesus didn't approve of this woman's adultery, but Jesus cared about this woman's soul. As Christians, what does God call us to do when someone is caught in sexual sin? Here's what God calls us to do. This is a problem we all have to face. It's a problem our families must deal with. It's something that each and every one of us will have to deal with. We have to be ready to give a response. We can't condemn the person. Here's what God calls us to do. Here's what we see in this passage. When someone is caught in sexual sin, seek to restore, not to condemn. When someone is caught, when they're guilty, and you know they're guilty, seek to restore the person, not to condemn the person. I want you to see here in this passage how Jesus responded to this woman. Her accusers are gone and she is left there alone with the Messiah and she is standing before Him and all the people are around. Oh, what a lesson they received that day. And here she is with Jesus. Jesus stood up and said to her, look at verse 10, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, no one, Lord. I want you to stop and just ask yourself for a moment, what could Jesus have said to this woman? In this moment, when Jesus asked her, where are your accusers? Is there no one here to condemn you? And she says, all my accusers are gone. Jesus could have looked at her and said, wrong. There's a person here who is absolutely qualified to condemn you. Jesus could have looked at that woman and pointed His finger in her face and said, don't you know that I am God incarnate and and I am perfect and I condemn you? Jesus could have done that. He could have said, I'm the righteous judge. I'm the one who's going to judge all the universe, every human being who's ever lived, and I condemn you. 
Jesus could have said that in that moment. But instead, Jesus restored her. What does Jesus say? Neither do I condemn you. You see that in verse 11? Think about the weight of that. You think about the burden that was lifted off this woman's shoulders. You think about the burden that was lifted off this woman's soul that here she is absolutely exposed and guilty and she knows it and everyone knows it. And here she is before Jesus and in her most vulnerable moment, Jesus looks at her and says, neither do I condemn you. Doesn't excuse her sin, but He saves and restores her. And then He tells her, look at the command, go and sin no more. Can I tell you something? The Gospel of Jesus Christ, not only does it forgive our sins, that's what the blood of Jesus has done, It forgives our sins. Not only does it forgive our sins, but it also transforms our lives. How could Jesus look at this woman and say to her, go and sin no more? Can I tell you, all of us, before we're saved, we don't have the power to do what Jesus is commanding here, do we? We can't do that. We don't have the ability not to sin. It's in our nature. We are sinful by birth and, and, and we sin in thought, word, and deed daily. And Jesus is seemingly giving this woman an impossible command. Go and sin no more. How, in on, how on earth is that possible for her to go and sin no more? How on earth? I'll tell you how it's possible. Not only did Jesus forgive her sin, but He also transformed this woman's life. So popular in our culture today for people to say, I can't help this sin. I am born this way. It's part of my nature, they will say. There's a popular false teaching that has sprung its ugly head in the Presbyterian church called Side B Gay Christianity. And it's, it's the teaching that a Christian can be gay but celibate. That a Christian can, can have the desire for sexual sin, but as long as they aren't acting on that desire, that, that it's okay. Can I tell you something? The Gospel does more then forgive our sins. The Gospel transforms our lives. The Gospel renews our wills. The Gospel changes our desires. You say, well look, I was born this way. I'm not a geneticist. I don't think there's any sexual sin gene. But I do know that each and every one of us are born with a sin nature. Me included. Each and every one of us are born with a nature and cravings that are contrary to God's law, that desires to gratify the flesh, that on and on and on we could go. We all have a sin nature. You know what the Gospel does? The Gospel not only forgives our sins, but transforms our lives. 
When someone is caught in sexual sin, seek to restore that person, not to condemn that person. Jesus is modeling here what the Apostle Paul says in Galatians 6.1. Brothers, if any of you are caught in a sin, if any of you are caught in any sin, Paul says in Galatians 6.1, you who are spiritual should restore that person in all gentleness. Don't condemn that person. You bring that person to the Gospel. And you give them the hope that not only have their sins been forgiven, but the Gospel can transform their lives. Far too many people are walking around in our culture in this day and age, like Hester and the Scarlet Letter, bearing the shame of their sexual sin. Others are like the reverend in the story who bear the shame in secret. But I want you to think about what Jesus has done. Hester may have bore a Scarlet Letter marking her sin and iniquity, but Jesus on the cross He bore in His flesh our sin and punishment that we deserve. Our sin was placed upon the Lord Jesus Christ. Our scarlet A was placed on Jesus. That the righteousness of Jesus Christ might be placed upon us. When someone is caught in sexual sin, seek to restore. Don't condemn. Let's pray.